series in John's Gospel for a day and uh, Mary's going to read the Bible today. If you'd like to turn to Psalm 116, that's the passage that Scott will preach on, Psalm 116. Okay, Psalm 116, which you'll find on page 435 if you have a plain Holy Bible, if you have one that's got gold rectangle on the front, it's 615. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore, I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for um, bringing us together under your word this morning. Father, we thank you for your uh, revelation of yourself to us and your will and your character through the scriptures. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and pray that he would uh, lead us into uh, greater understanding and um, greater godliness as we hear from your word. And we pray the same for our children. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, on, on Sunday, the 3rd of February, 1788, the first ever sermon was preached in Australia. Uh, eight days earlier, on Saturday, January the 26th, the first fleet anchored uh, in Sydney Cove, having come from Botany Bay and decided that that was not the place to settle. 1,373 people, men, women and children, they were convicts, they were sailors, they were soldiers with their wives and children 
and uh, they had sailed for eight and a half months in 11 really small ships. Uh, the next day, being Sunday, uh, was a time uh, for unloading, for clearing some land and pitching some tents. This was an extraordinary venture. Uh, although it uh, flowed <coughs> from the need uh, to relieve England's overcrowded prisons, uh, it also meant the establishment of a new society uh, without the necessary understanding and recognition of the fact that the place they were coming to um, already had societies functioning. Um, but on board those ships were the supplies that they would need for this new settlement. Um, supplies which, as it turned out, were just barely enough uh, given the difficulties that they had cultivating uh, crops in those uh, first few years. But also on board was a minister of the gospel. Uh, you see, <coughs> there were evangelical Christians in England uh, who were part of what was called the Eclectic Society, who saw that the greatest need uh, of this new society would be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, among those people were William Wilberforce and uh, John Newton, uh, two men who would, <coughs> over time, lead the struggle uh, to eventually abolish the slave trade. And Newton, uh, who also wrote the world's most loved hymn, uh, amazing grace. I think that's fair, to, fair comment to say that it's that well loved. Uh, along with others, Newton and Wilberforce uh, did their very best to ensure that the colony of New South Wales <coughs> would have a chaplain who would be a faithful preacher of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, the Reverend Richard Johnson uh, was on board uh, when the first fleet anchored uh, in Sydney Cove. It was on a patch of ground under some trees on what is now the corner of Bly Street and Hunter Street near Castle Ray Street uh, in Sydney that the first sermon was preached. Now it's not often that Australia Day happens on a Sunday. I can't remember the last time that's happened. Uh, this year it does and so I thought, what better time uh, for us to consider the, the same Bible passage that the first fleeters uh, heard, the same passage of God's Word, uh, the very first passage of God's Word ever preached uh, in this continent, this great south land. And that's Psalm 116. Um, Johnson's text <coughs> for that first ever sermon was Psalm 116 and uh, he especially focused on verses 12 and 13 which read, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? How can I do that? Well, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That's an interesting choice of passage, don't you think? Um, given the difficulties that they have just endured and those which would surely lie ahead. But it's a timeless passage um, for 
no matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter when we live, um, we always, we always, no matter our circumstances, we always have cause uh, to thank the Lord and to consider <clears throat> what we should do in response to his goodness towards us. So let's open up our Bibles, shall we, at Psalm 116. <clears throat> One of the things which I think that we tend to love about the Psalms is that the Psalmists uh, are very, um, they're very honest, aren't they? Uh, the authors uh, tend to express their, their thoughts, their, and their feelings towards God in ways that um, resonate with us. Uh, living such a long time afterwards. And that's exactly what we see in verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord, says the psalmist. I love the Lord. That's something which every believer can say. Uh, but it's not just an emotional thing, isn't it? <clears throat> you know, I can say that I love something in a sort of a way that's just expressing an emotion towards that particular person or that particular thing and so on. Uh, the love that he's talking about here, it's not just... It, it does... involves emotion. Um, our love for God is, is emotional, but it's not just emotion. Uh, it's based on solid grounds. And here the, the psalmist has very solid reasons for loving the Lord. He, he says, I love the Lord. Why? Well, because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Now, <clears throat> we do not know what had happened to this psalmist. We don't know what his circumstances were. We don't know what difficulties, what trials, what... But we do know how he felt about it. Have a look in verse 3, and it's pretty, pretty bad. In verse 3, he says, The cords of death entangled me. Uh, the anguish of the grave came upon me. He feared death. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Now, it may be that his problems had been caused by other people. <laughs> um, there's just a hint of that in verse 11, because he, verse 11 he says that all men are liars. <laughs> and that might give you a hint as to what's gone on for him. But what we see there is a very graphic description, isn't it? of his difficulties you know he says it's like a, a sea creature that's caught in a net you know and the more that it struggles the more that it thrashes to free itself the more entangled it becomes and and dies he says that the cords of death entangled me it's a picture of despair it's a picture of helplessness it's a picture of someone who cannot get out of the situation that they are in. And it's the text. This is the psalm which Johnson chose to preach on. We can imagine the journey that those first fleeters had just endured. Eight and a half months, open sea from the other side of the world, uh, terribly cramped conditions, poor diet, Sickness and, and death, 67 of them didn't make it. Treacherous seas, especially imagine crossing uh, the, the, you know, the great southern ocean above Antarctica before you get to sail up the coast of New South Wales. 
as it was then. No Victoria in those days. There would have been times when at least some on board uh, may have cried out to God for help. Just as the psalmist did in verse 4. Then he says, I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. This is not something which a proud person can say, is it? This is a man who has been stripped of his pride. This is a man who has been stripped of any sense. You know, the person who, in difficult circumstances, says, I can do this. I can get out of this by myself. I don't need anybody's help. I'm me. I... No, he's helpless. And he knows it. But his prayer is not just wishful thinking. It's not just like the person who says, well, I've tried everything else. I might as well give prayer a go. Maybe that might work. No, he cries out to God because he knows the character of God. Do you see what he says in verse 5? The Lord is gracious. That is, the Lord does good for us when we don't even deserve it. The Lord is gracious. He goes on to say the Lord, he is righteous, meaning that, that justice is a big thing for God. And he says that the Lord is compassionate, that God has a heart for the helpless, that God listens to their prayers. You see, it's not the act of prayer which saves us from our suffering. As if prayer just <clears throat> works because it makes you feel better. Well, it does make you feel better, but there's actually a solid reason for that. It's not just psychological. The reason that prayer is powerful is because of the person to whom we pray and his character and his being. He is gracious, righteous, full of compassion and he actually listens to us. He's powerful. Which means that when we pray, we're actually handing over our troubles to someone who is greater than us. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, Present your requests to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which we can't understand, um, guards us in our hearts in the Lord Jesus. That we actually stay uh, in, in Christ. It's like when we're helpless, when we cannot solve a problem, we hand the problem over to someone who can solve the problem. <laughs> And someone who loves us and someone who listens to us. Someone who is almighty. And so therefore we, having done that, have no need to be anxious. That's what Paul says. I love that old hymn which goes, Oh what peace we often forfeit. Um, oh what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Friends, the psalmist delighted to, to write this psalm because God had proven his faithfulness to him. In verse 8, 
He says, For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. It sounds like God saved him, doesn't it? (laughs) And it sounds like he didn't stumble because he trusted in God rather than trying to do ungodly things to solve his problem himself. It sounds like he's, he's back on track. And so my question is, I, I wonder if you can remember times in your life uh, when you have been overwhelmed with trouble and God has brought you through it, that you've, you're still here, you're still thriving as a Christian uh, and those days, are, those days are done because God has carried you through those times. How should we respond to that you know i find it easy to pray to god when i'm in trouble i find it a lot less easy to remember to say thank you to him afterwards something which we need to always be doing and it it might be that this is why richard johnson chose this particular psalm Uh, those 1373 that's a lot of people isn't it those 1,373 men, women and children had arrived in a strange place. Um, the climate, the vegetation, the animals. And there were people who already lived here, which we need to be mindful of, more than mindful of. And their future was uncertain. Uh, So theirs was a difficult situation, but guess what? They were now on dry ground. (laughs) Their feet was on terra firma. And so God had been good to them. God had been good to them. And so Richard Johnson encouraged his congregation with the question in verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Well, how does the psalmist answer that? He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. He will exalt in the Lord's saving grace and I will call on the name of the Lord. And then in verses 13 through to the end of the psalm, out of thankfulness, he just wants to now live for God. Let me just uh, read to you a few of those verses. Verse 17, he says, I I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Now, what is the impression that you have from that? Um, it seems that having gone through these difficulties, that rather than being all bitter and twisted about what he's experienced, um, he's thankful that God has delivered him. That's his response. Uh, Rather than turning away from God, saying, well, I know you brought me through it, but how could you have put me in that situation in the first place? Don't you really love me? Rather than turning away from the Lord, um, he actually now wants to serve the Lord. 
And rather than saying to people, well, the Lord is pretty fickle, he allows you to go, no, he actually wants other people to know that God has saved him and he wants other people to know that he is now serving the Lord because of that. Now, for many of us, this psalm resonates. Uh, We remember those times when we have been in difficulty and God has carried us through. But sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way, does it? Uh, There are times when although we love God and although we, uh, we pray to God and pray to him in heartfelt prayers and pray continually day after day, year after year for relief from particular suffering, that the suffering continues as a long-term challenge for us. How is it that all Christians, no matter our circumstances, can be thankful to God and desire to repay him for all of his goodness to us? There are some people who say that this should not be an issue. They say that if you pray with faith, then God will always solve your problem. He'll always take away your suffering. And if he hasn't taken away your suffering, there's something wrong with you and your prayer. However, the Apostle Paul was a man of great faith. And he suffered terribly. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, Paul uh, recounts some of the ways that he suffered in his ministry... And uh, amongst other sufferings, he talks about being, being sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Um, <clears throat> being poor, but yet making others rich. Um, he talks about having nothing and yet possessing everything. <clears throat> he speaks also of having a thorn in his side that the Lord would not take away from him because the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. How can this be? How can this be that we can have nothing but possess everything? Well, how does the psalmist describe God in verse 5? Again, he says God is gracious, God is righteous, and God is compassionate. And remember again his circumstance in verse 3, that the cords of death entangled him, that he, he anguished over the grave. He thought he was about to die. He was overcome with trouble and sorrow. He had very real physical suffering. But yet this actually points us to a greater spiritual reality. Because it could be the cry of any person who knows that things are not right between them and God. The person who knows their sin, who knows their guilt who knows the predicament of being under God's judgment, the person who knows their need to be saved, to be rescued. Now, um, we don't know what Richard Johnson said in his sermon that first time that God's word was ever preached in Australia because he either didn't write it down or just didn't get kept. In fact, I don't think we've got copies of any written text from his actual sermons. But we do have the text of what he wrote just uh, four years later in uh, 
what was described as a tract that he wrote and uh, issued um, for all of the inhabitants of what they called Port Jackson and Norfolk. These were the colonies. And <clears throat> I've actually printed more of this, um, what he wrote, uh, in your bulletins so that you can have a read of that. It's really, really helpful. But uh, let me just say this, that having explained um, <clears throat> the um, uh, creation and man's perfect condition in creation and then having explained sin and judgment uh, and then um, he, he then writes some great words about Jesus. Let me share these words with you. He says about Jesus <clears throat> to the people of Port Jackson and Norfolk that Jesus endured the curse that we might inherit the blessing. He bore the cross so that we might bear the crown. He died that we might live. He died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And these blessings become ours only by believing. I couldn't have said it better myself. How about that? Friends, the cross of Jesus is the proof of God's character. That God is gracious <clears throat> because he gives us the good that we did not deserve. We deserve to be judged. Instead, we get forgiven. That God is righteous because the guilt of our sin has been paid for by his only son. That God is compassionate because he cares about us and he listens to our prayers for forgiveness. And the answer to that prayer is yes. Forgiven in Christ Jesus. In fact, when God does allow us to suffer, he does so because he is gracious, because he is righteous, because he is compassionate, because he does so that we might be more humble, that we might be more dependent upon him, and that we might be less satisfied with this world and looking forward to that day in glory when we are perfect, physically perfect, and free from all sin. Which is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. So, how do we say thank you to God for his great love for us? Uh, on Australia Day... <coughs> We should give thanks to God for Australia, don't you think? It's a good thing to do. A bit different this year though, isn't it? You know, for those convicts, <coughs> sailors and soldiers and their families so far from home, this was a very strange place. Uh, the bushland seemed unforgiving. Uh, and the, the strange creatures uh, made them feel like they were aliens in a different world. Um, the very things which we now treasure so dearly, uh, which is why we're saddened this year, because there's been some degree of loss in that regard. But we thank God, for we are so abundantly blessed in this land. We can also thank God 
that the gospel of Jesus arrived on these shores on January the 26, 1788. That Richard Johnson was not an unbelieving churchman. That he wasn't a sacramentalist. That he wasn't an Anglo-Catholic. That he wasn't a career clergyman with some twisted idea that that might be beneficial for him to come to New South Wales. That he was actually a man who was willing to come because he wanted to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the convicts, uh, <coughs> to the government workers and to the people who lived here. In fact, uh, in 1780, uh, Johnson and his wife Mary gave birth to their first child, a daughter, uh, to whom they gave an Aboriginal name. How about that? If only others who'd followed would have the same attitude uh, towards the people of this land. In 1793, uh, he built the first church building. The uh, governor had frustrated him. <coughs> the governor, governor was not um, as helpful in terms of providing the resources to do so. So he built it himself. It seated 500 people. <laughs> uh, it, built down a few, it burnt down a few years later. But the foundation stone was not whatever foundation the timber building was built on. The foundation stone was what he was preaching, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the building that he built, well, as I said, that burnt down, but people's lives, the real building of God, the real church of God, um, people would have been saved through his preaching, for God's word does not return to him um, empty. Friends, as thankful as we should be for this land in which we are so blessed to live, um, we've got something even better to be thankful to God for, don't we? Uh, God has not just saved us from the difficulties in life, he saved us from sin and he's given us eternal life. Psalm 116 finishes with a, the psalmist saying that he wants to offer a sacrifice of thanks uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. Well, we don't go to a temple and offer up burnt sacrifices, do we? Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says that in view of God's mercy, what he's done for us in Jesus, that we are to offer up our very lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How can we thank God for saving us through Jesus? By living not for ourselves or for the blessings we enjoy in this land. No, we live for him. We put God first in our lives. And finally, as Christians, we should pray without ceasing for Australia. For there are so many millions and millions of Australians uh, for whom they are living as if the gospel never came to our shores in 1788. They are living in just as much darkness 
as was present before 1788. So many Australians living, enjoying the bounty of this land, enjoying God's good creation and yet not enjoying God the Creator or giving thanks to Him. And so we should be praying for Australia. In 1792, Richard Johnson wrote to all who lived in the colony and he told them what he prays for. And he promised uh, to all of the people of Port Jackson and of Norfolk Island, especially, he said, uh, for the convicts and the prisoners. He addressed his letter to them as their affectionate friend. <laughs> affectionate friend. And he says, oh, I'll be praying for you daily, for your eternal salvation, for your present welfare, and for the good of the colony. It's a good prayer, isn't it? It's a timeless prayer. It's a prayer that we should be praying and keeping on praying. For Johnson also wrote that his heart's desire was that all people, all people, no matter their race, would believe and rejoice in the salvation of God. I was pretty happy when I read about Richard Johnson. And to know that the, through the God's sovereignty and the efforts of people like Newton and Wilberforce um, that we actually have a foundation that's led to a pretty good heritage amongst some of us um, in Australia. Is it your desire for Australia that more people would know the salvation that comes through Jesus? Is that your prayer? I think it'd be good for us to pray that, don't you? Uh, join with me, please, as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you are a God who listens to our prayers, that you are a God who, in the midst of our trials and difficulties, loves us and cares for us, and that, Lord, in accordance with your will, that you bring us out of those difficulties. Uh, Father, we thank you for salvation we have from the greatest difficulty in life and that is the guilt of the of our sin we thank you so much for jesus we thank you that the uh, <clears throat> that he di died the just for the unjust uh, to bring us to you father we th thank you for australia we thank you for the rich blessings that you've bestowed upon us in this land uh, we do pray that uh, we wouldn't be proud, but rather that we would be thankful. We pray, Father, for um, uh, the first Australians, and uh, it uh, grieves us that there's been so much um, uh, injustice. We do pray that as the gospel is spread throughout Australia, that more of us would turn to Jesus, find the salvation that is found in him alone, and live with Jesus as Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.